Now from your local election headquarters, it's almost time for the May primary. And we're sitting down with more of the candidates for Congress in a crowded Republican field, including former state Senator Aaron Houchin and former Congressman Mike Sodger, plus GOP Chairman Kyle Hupfer and Democratic Party Chairman Mike Schmuel. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. The May primary now just days away across the state. Early voting numbers are down this year, far from the turnout we saw two years ago in 2020 for the presidential election. But there are still a lot of races on the ballot this year. We're going to give you an in-depth look today as we preview the May primary. I'm here now with Kristen Eskow. You know, there is a Senate race this year, but no primaries in that race. We do have elections in every single congressional district. And this year you may actually be voting in a different district than you were last time around because of the redistricting process. Well, that's right, Dan. This is the new congressional district map for 2022. It's being used over the next 10 years. Marion County, East Central Indiana, and South Central Indiana are a few of the most affected areas where district boundaries have changed. So that means you may soon have a different representative in Congress. On Tuesday, Indiana voters will decide who's on the ballot in November. And recent redistricting means some Hoosiers will be voting in different primaries this time around. Redistricting didn't change the political landscape in terms of our congressional districts much at all. Julia Vaughn of the nonpartisan organization Common Cause Indiana considers the new congressional districts gerrymandered and less competitive. That means Indiana's congressional delegation will likely keep the same political makeup with seven Republicans and two Democrats after the November election. And so when you have districts that aren't competitive in the general election, that means that probably whoever wins the primary will be the victorious one in November. Because the primaries are selecting the party's candidates, this is where we see a lot of the competition in Indiana. UND political science professor Laura Wilson points out the most competition this year is in the 9th congressional district in southeast and south central Indiana. Republican Trey Hollingsworth isn't running for re-election. Nine Republicans and three Democrats are vying for his seat. And that's a really wide district that has different voters across it. And obviously you're going to see candidates that are representative of the different groups of people in that district as well. All right, so you, you mentioned the 9th district there. Uh, let's take a look at, at some of the congressional races really all across the state this year, including district number one up in northwest Indiana. Well, that's right, Dan. That race is being closely watched this year. Representative Frank Mervan's seat, of course, being targeted by Republicans. In Politico's recent ratings for congressional races, they say the 1st district leans Democratic. Now, several Republican candidates will square off in a primary next week, and Mervan has a Democratic primary opponent as well. All right, meantime, both the second and third districts considered solid Republican seats. Jackie Wilarski, Jim Banks running for re-election, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Politico expecting the same in those districts. Representatives Baird Sparts and Pence all expected to earn re-election. Greg Pence does have a primary opponent in his district. The seventh district, though, that is considered solid for the Democrats. Well, that's right, and Congressman Andre Carson running for re-election there. He does have a couple of opponents in that primary. In the 8th district, Congressman Larry Bouchon is running again in a solid GOP district. But in the 9th, as we mentioned, it's an open seat with Congressman Trey Hollingsworth not seeking re-election. It is considered a solid Republican district with nine candidates on the ballot in that primary. And we've been speaking with some of them ahead of next week's vote.
Hoosiers in southeast and south-central Indiana are electing a new representative for Congress this fall. It's a longtime GOP district, and Republicans are working to keep it that way. Knock doors, send mail, uh, make phone calls. Um, we've done this multiple cycles in a row, and it's what's led the Republican Party to be so dominant in this state. As the primary election nears, one of the big issues facing the U.S. is the conflict in Ukraine. Stu Barnes Israel is an Army veteran who fought alongside Polish Special Forces in Afghanistan. It is important that America stands up and is strong around the world and shows strength. Otherwise, these threats will come to our shores. Several of the candidates, especially Republicans, have discussed the subsequent spike in oil and gas prices on the campaign trail. Former State Senator Erin Houchin says she wants to see the U.S. resume work on the Keystone XL pipeline. We also need to uh, be utilizing our own energy resources. We can't be reliant on other countries for our energy independence. Inflation, a big concern for many Hoosier voters. Longtime businessman and former Congressman Mike Sodrell believes it also comes down to government spending. When you have more money chasing the same amount of products and services, it causes prices to rise. Though the district has been in Republican hands, Democrats say they see opportunity since it's an open seat. We want to hold uh, the GOP uh, accountable. You know, Republicans have been in charge of Indiana for 18 years now, um, and I think their track record is pretty mixed. All right. So more of that chat with party leaders straight ahead. Also, Kristen, you know, one state lawmaker in this race left the legislature to, to focus on her campaign. Another state in the General Assembly. You asked both of them about that decision and also asked two of the other leading candidates about some some residency questions that they've been facing. Yeah, we should note that these candidates aren't legally required to live in their district, but both Sodrell and Barnes Israel have faced questions here in recent weeks about whether they really do live in those districts and whether that should matter to voters. Uh, what's your response to that and the concerns over the optics of whether you actually live in the district? Uh, I don't hear, you know, I hear about gasoline, I hear about the inflation rate. I, I hear about the open borders. I hear about everything except my uh, residence. It's not like I went away someplace and been living in New York and decided to come home and run for office. Uh, you know, I've been here the whole time. What's your response, though, to concerns over the optics of that and questions over whether you live in the district? Well, let's be clear. Greensburg is absolutely my home where I was born and raised, where I uh, signed a contract to join the United States Army where I'm proud to be raising my children and live with my family. The, the career politicians and the insiders will say and do anything to distract from the fact that they are destroying this country and failing us. One of your opponents resigned from her position at the State House to focus on the campaign. You, however, chose to stay in your House seat. Tell me why and do you think that's had an impact on your campaign for Congress? Well, I think uh, it's had a huge impact. A lot of people have asked me that question, and I'll simply say this. I was taught to finish what you start, and so the people, my constituents, have entrusted me uh, to represent them uh, in the Indiana General Assembly, and I have I've done that every single day. What's your response to that? Well, I think that, you, you know, I made a decision that I was all in. So, you know, last time I got, when I ran in 2016, I got criticized for staying in both places. Uh, this time I got criticized for, for burning the ships, if you will, and, and being all in. I think the fight is that important that we have to be all in toward, you know, taking the fight to Washington, winning this election. I also think 
what we've seen around the state uh, this year and in this primary season is a lot of Republican primaries. So let's turn to the first district. As we saw yeah. a few days ago, the Cook Political Report changed its outlook on the first district from likely Democratic to lean Democratic. What, what's your response to that? Are you concerned Republicans are gaining ground there? And, and what are you all doing in response? Well, it's an interesting district. You know, traditionally, it's been very uh, Democratic. I think that you're seeing an influx of folks from Illinois who are moving to, to Indiana for, for different reasons. You know, Frank Mervan has been a great congressman in his uh, relatively short time in office. Do you all see opportunity there in the first district this November? We do. Um, we're optimistic. You know, that, that district has shifted some over the, the last uh, several years. Um, we've been following it pretty closely here in the primary. Again, we're not involved, but, but just being prepared. Um, we're helping to build out some support up there for once we have a, a nominee. Um, but I do think it's in play. Um, you know, it remains to be seen in, in the fall of, of how that works out. But we certainly will be playing in the first district as a state party. At the state house level, we're seeing more Republican incumbents being challenged this year in primaries compared to previous years, at least in the past decade. Does that signify a move within the party to try to shift Republicans further to the right? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I think I think you see some of these challenges coming from a lot of different um, uh, angles. Um, Again, we're not involved in each and every one of these primary campaigns, so you'd have to ask those candidates what their motivations have been. But, um, you know, this is a very Republican state, as I just mentioned. So if you want to be a state representative in many of these areas, the only place to do that is in a Republican primary. And so I think there's some folks who want to serve. You know, one of the things that we've seen um, out of the pandemic and now out of the, the Biden administration and their overreach with some of their liberal, liberal policies is there is a lot of enthusiasm amongst the Republic, Republican grassroots and people wanting to get involved, whether that's at a congressional level or all the way down to a, a county council or a township level. Um, there has been a lot of excitement um, to come out and run. So, of course, we'll see what happens yeah. Tuesday night, and we'll have all the results for you right here. All right, Kristen, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus with a number of important local races on the ballot, why aren't more voters turning out? We'll hear from election officials and from our panel. And later, student loan forgiveness, the president's potential plan, seeing some pushback. We'll hear from Indiana lawmakers coming up. All right, welcome back. Let's bring in our panel right now with us today on Zoom. UND political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson, Bill Moreau from the Indiana Citizen, and Abdul Hakim Shabazz from IndiePolitics.org. And with me here in studio, important bills, Adam Wren, who's now joining the team at Politico as well. Adam, first off, congratulations to you. And, and certainly a busy time, right? Here with the midterms quickly approaching and a midterm landscape that increasingly looks pretty difficult for the Democrats amidst record inflation numbers and numbers out this week showing our U.S. economy actually shrinking here in recent months as well. That's right. It's a tr troubling trend for the White House, uh, the GDP going down one more quarter, and we're in a, an official recession. So uh, there hasn't been a cycle like this in decades uh, that the Democrats have faced, and it could be a real bloodbath, uh, particularly here in Indiana. Uh, Abdul, no uh, primary in our U.S. Senate race as Todd Young runs for re-election. Some congressional primaries, though, including that race in the newly redrawn 9th District, different geographical configuration, of course, than, than last time around in that race. 
Yes, and the, basically it's a race between the three front runners, Mike Sodrell, Aaron Houchin, and Stu Barnes-Israel. Uh, Houchin has a lot of endorsements. Sodrell's got money, uh, and also uh, Stu Barnes-Israel uh, has been working his, uh, working his rear end off. So it'll be an interesting race to see who voters uh, in that ninth district race, race pick, because as you all know, Trey Hollingsworth is leaving that district, and it's still very solidly Republican. All right, so what are we going to see this year in terms of turnout? That's the question. Well, not surprisingly so far, early voting numbers are down this year compared to the last two cycles. But poll workers are hoping that people will still come out and make their voices heard with a number of important local positions on the ballot this year as well. This year we have many other countywide offices on the ballot this year. Uh, there's also uh, township level races on the ballot this year as well. So the offices that impact the voters daily life are on the ballot this year. Okay, so comparing some of those statewide early voting numbers as of this past Thursday, there have been about 123,000 early voters this year. Compare that to the last midterm 2018 when we saw over 170,000 early voters. There was a big Senate primary that year when we saw turnout right around 20%. We'll see how things end up this year in 2022. Bill, your organization has looked pretty closely at the impact uh, of redistricting and voter turnout. Those numbers down this year as a lot of these safe congressional districts really just get safer and safer. Right, and it's a little counterintuitive, right? You'd think that uh, redistricting has had the effect of uh, creating more contests in the primary, particularly uh, the 9th Congressional District is an example with nine Republicans running. Uh, you have state house and, and state senate seats. There are 40 uh, uh, Republican uh, uh, contests uh, in the, at the state level uh, primaries uh, that have been uh, created by uh, redistricting. So you think that would might have an upward push on on turnout, but you know primaries are actually designed uh, to suppress the vote and only have the party faithful turn up. Right? This is this is government subsidized uh, nomination of. Uh, a, a political party's nominees. So, um, yeah, and that by definition in Indiana means that about 80% of Hoosiers are going to yeah. stay home because they don't identify really with either party. Yeah, and Laura, we heard from you earlier in Kristen's report on, on the primaries that that ninth district race certainly is going to be one to watch with nine candidates in the GOP primary, three on the Democrats Democratic side. There's also the first congressional district this year. Congressman Frank Mervan's seat could, could be in play this year. At least Republicans are targeting it in hopes that they can make gains and maybe turn that district red this year. And that would be really unique because oftentimes the way Indiana politics has worked out, even regardless of the drawing of the district lines with gerrymandering, uh, we've had very safe seats. Whether they're the seven Republican or the two Democrat for Congress, uh, there's usually the competition in the primary, but once the person is one from the designated party, uh, it's not nearly as competitive in the general. So if you look at that first district race, you do see that potential for a flip. And that would that would signify a lot of change, I think, in, in terms of the politics in that area. That would really, in terms of that general election, if that does ultimately happen, that's a, a pretty big thing for the state yeah, of Indiana. Like you said, close races are, are pretty rare. Uh, we almost, uh, we saw a potential flip in the fifth last time around. It didn't happen. Uh, Abdul, what else are, are, are you keeping your eye on as we head into the primary next week at, at the state house or elsewhere? Uh, look at a couple different things. Uh, number one, all the sort of the far right ideological right challengers uh, to very mainstream conservative Repu mainstream conservative Republican candidates. I'm keeping looking. Also, a couple of races locally. Uh, the Hamilton County Prosecutors race, 
fits my old colleague Greg Garrison against Lee Buckingham race. And also uh, here in Marion County, not so much the race in particular, but how African Americans are just mad and upset with Kate Sweeney Bell uh, with her shenanigans as county chair. Uh, I think you have a major impact, not so much in this race this year, but next year with the mayor's race. If Republicans can find the right candidate with the right message, we can appeal to African American vote in the mayor's race next year. We'll see what happens there. A Adam, we we spoke with uh, with the Democratic Party uh, chairman uh, about uh, the situation there in Marion County. There, there's been a little bit of a backlash there. We asked him directly about that and whether or not slating something that he favors or not. He said it's something he's looking into, not as familiar with it since he's from South Bend, uh, but it's certainly uh, in Indianapolis uh, caused something of a political controversy here lately. Yeah, we know that members of, of the Black Caucus have gone to the DNC nationally and have asked them to look into this. The DNC has sort of passed on it. But I, I do think that Abdul is right, that Kate Sweeney Bell's uh, election here is a real test of the of the Joe Hogsett political machine, and it could be a harbinger of what he faces if he does decide for re run for re-election uh, next year. Okay, we're looking at some of those uh, turnout numbers again uh, behind us here. Bill, a um, lot of local races that, that do matter at the local level, so, so why don't they maybe tend to matter as much to voters who show up uh, in big numbers for presidential elections, not as much in the midterms. Is that, in your opinion, the kind of the nationalization of politics at play here? I, I'm not sure it, it's that so much as the way the Indiana system uh, works. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, because we don't have party you know, registration. Um, you have to walk in, you have to declare your party, say, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican, get that ballot. And uh, a lot of uh, the majority of uh, Hoosiers, uh, registered voters, just, just find that to be distasteful, um, um, offensive, right? Um, but in, in, in some of these races, right, there are going to be so many candidates, as Laura pointed out. And also keep in mind that, right, we're a plurality state. That is to say, if you, you know, get nine people in that ninth district uh, primary and uh, the winner uh, has one more vote than the second place, uh, he or she's the nominee and is going to likely go to Congress. So uh, that puts a premium, of course, on the candidates, uh, you know, working hard to bring their voters to the polls. But they're still you've still got to declare your party preference. Right. And um, that that's the way the Indiana system works. And it works that way for for a reason. Right? Laura, Laura, and of course. Yeah, yeah. You, sorry, Bill. You, you study political science. Laura, do you see uh, places Indiana could 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 change its system, perhaps? Well, Bill's right. There's a reason the system exists. And I think one of the challenges is uh, part of what you would need to change the system would be to change people's opinion. And the people who benefit from the system might not want to see that kind of change. Now, I do think when you talk about things like open primaries, closed primaries, people should also know that there's the option to take a nonpartisan vote in the primary. And I live in Perry Township. I'm nonpartisan. Uh, but I want to vote for our school referendum uh, for funding. And you can do that. Only one measure on the ballot, but you have that option. A lot of times depressed voter turnout in the primary election is because if you don't side with one political party, you don't see a reason to go to the polls. Uh, they aren't for partisan voters for many occasions, but there are right. some exceptions there. Good reminders that people can do that. All right, Laura, thanks. Our thanks to the panel. Coming up next, the White House considering taking action on student loan forgiveness, but it's a plan that's seen some pushback. We'll have reaction from Indiana lawmakers up next. I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to there will be additional debt forgiveness. 
President Biden considering forgiving some student loan debt, something that he promised to do during his campaign. Payments have been paused most of the pandemic. Now the president's considering additional debt forgiveness. The White House has called on Congress to do something about student loan debt rather than wait for executive action. But many Republicans are against erasing student debt across the board. Senator Mike Braun co-sponsored a bill to block any further student loan forgiveness in a statement he says he believes canceling loans would be unfair to those without college degrees and called loan forgiveness, quote, a taxpayer handout to appease far left activists. We also spoke with Indiana Congressman Jim Baird on this issue. That's not going to be a cheap project. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel for those young people uh, and, and, and incurring all of that debt and trying to start off uh, in a new job or something after they graduate. But on the other hand, I think we have to be fair and equitable. And so there are a lot of people suffering after this pandemic that, that probably also deserve help. All right, we'll talk about it more in the weeks to come. Stick around, we're back with this week's Winners and Losers next. All right, time for this week's Winners and Losers. Laura, I'll start with you. I always like to say right before election, we'll find out the real winners and losers on Tuesday evening. But I would say the proposal for the city county council pay raise is a winner. I understand it's always going to be a little political here, but you get what you pay for. We deserve great representation and our representatives deserve great compensation. Bill. Big winners, Janet Williams, Bill Theobald and Kevin Morgan of the Indiana Citizen won first place um, uh, in the Society of Professional Journalists annual competition. We got an award for our coverage uh, of redistricting, won first place. And yes, that was a shameless plug. <laughs> well, congrats to your team there at The Citizen. Adam, congrats to you as well, the new role of Politico. You're winner and loser this week. Thank you. Uh, two winners, actually. Todd Young for not having a primary opponent uh, and raising $12 million a cycle. And uh, a second winner is the downtown Indianapolis. I've seen a lot of big projects come online that are, that are uh, popping up here the next few years. And it'll be exciting to see what happens to the city of Indianapolis. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week on In Focus. <laughs>